What up, brawlers? Uh, welcome back to Throwing Hands. I'm Jake Drzowski. Alongside me is Daniel Woods. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing great, man. How about you? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. No surgery scheduled for next Wednesday, so, you know, a little nervous, but what yeah. can I say? I'll be better in the long run. I'll sound yeah. better. Anyway, you know what? I didn't make an agenda, so I'm kind of just doing this off the top of my head. We've done this enough to do that, I guess. So, first off, Max Roshkoff. Uh, Roshkoff, however you say his name, stopped the fight himself. Um, what was your take on the whole situation with the corner and stuff? I think, I think it's a little concerning when you see a corner that is, is refusing to stop a fight when their guy is clearly out of it. He was mentally, Max Roshkoff was clearly out of that fight uh, when he came back to his corner. And, I mean, it'd be one thing if, this was a, a fight that had been planned for if, if this had been on, on the docket for a while, but this was a guy who had taken this fight as his UFC debut on less than two weeks notice. So in that kind of scenario, you live to fight another day. I get that uh, as, as a, as a fighter, uh, you, you want to be able to go out there and, and, and fight until you can't anymore. But Max Roshkoff clearly, felt that he had gone beyond his physical and mental limits and his, his corner being reluctant to go along with that is, is a little bit concerning in my eyes. Yeah. I'd be concerned if I were Max uh, Roscoff because your, your corner doesn't seem to really care about you necessarily more to care about the dub or the, the payday that you get if you keep kept going. And it just, I don't know. He was kind of a human punching bag in the second round. He was he was getting kind of whipped around. He was, he, I don't know. I can't tell you how many headshots he took in that round. And I, I think it's it's also kind of a welcome to the UFC moment <laughs> coming in. These how much higher of a level these guys are on. So I don't know. I I feel bad for the kid. That I think the corner should definitely reconsider their actions on what. It's it's be one thing if they said, "Are you sure?" and then they canceled it but they just kept insisting and then i think ross cop made the right decision in his mind to end the fight all right just fights so motoferry versus murphy uh i predicted motoferry by submission and you predicted murphy by ko but murray got the win by decision what were your thoughts on this one daniel um i thought this was this was a good fight for lauren murphy she's obviously somebody that's got some upward mobility in this division and it's a division that needs uh, some challengers uh, to kind of emerge in the next couple of months, couple of weeks, uh, as we as we continue to to have all of this, all of these UFC events through the rest of the summer. So I I thought Lauren Murphy did exactly what she needed to do, and I think she did some things, uh, winning this one by decision, being able to take this fight to three rounds, uh, and still be successful in the long run. I think showed that she is more than just a, a fighter who's going to go out and try to knock you out in the first round. And that's all she can do. She was, she was pretty impressive here. I really like her going forward and I like her as a contender in the division. 
Oh, for sure. And I think what really what really stood out to me was Murphy's strength. Moda Ferry had I don't, I don't remember how many takedown attempts in the fight, and she, it's, she see Murphy seemed to stuff pretty much all of them. And I think with her strength, that'll definitely carry her far in this flyweight division, because I think yes, Valentina Shevchenko's uh, light years beyond anybody else in this division. But I think this will definitely carry her to a possible championship contender within the next few months. So. What do you think is next for uh, Roxanne Modafferi? I I don't entirely know. She's she's an older fighter. She's she's been around the block more more times than just about anybody uh, in in any of the women's divisions really for the UFC. She's she's been around almost as long as anybody. Uh, not entirely in the UFC, but she's she's fought uh, as a professional for for a long time. She's thirty seven years old and has forty one professional fights under her belt. I think she's obviously somebody in this in this flyweight division that has to be considered because it is a little bit thin on contenders right now, and she has had some impressive performances during her time in the UFC. So I, I, while I'm not sure she's she's a top contender, she's somebody that definitely has the ability to catch people off guard. I mean, she beat Macy Barber earlier this year. That was a, a, a solid fight. She also has a win over Antonina Shevchenko. I'm not sure who the next – uh, opponent is for her here but I think she's got a solid place in the middle of this women's flyweight division yeah I would have to agree there and I think you know we could see her maybe another Macy Barber uh, rematch or someone uh, Aruha Aruha ah, I don't know how you say her name or Andrea Lee that'd be a nice little thing for her I think what's next for Lauren Murphy is I think we could see her fight uh, Jessica I next somewhere up there in the fo- in the Five four range Jennifer Maya. I think she she really proved herself against uh, a fairly a very uh, veteran opponent in Mata Ferry. What what's your thoughts on what's next for Murphy? Yeah, I think I think Jessica I may be may be the next option for her, uh, but with with Jessica I having missed weight a couple times recently, she may be moving back up to bantamweight. Uh, Lauren Murphy, she may be a little reluctant to take that fight in that case, uh, but. Honestly, if if the UFC really believes in in Lauren Murphy and what she can do, and I think that they do, I think they see that she's an extremely talented fighter who can compete in this women's flyweight division. I would not hesitate to push her right up against Cynthia Calvillo in a title eliminator. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko and Joanne Calderwood are going to fight later this summer uh, for that women's flyweight title. I expect Valentina to come out of there with the win, and honestly, I think Lauren Murphy and or, or Cynthia Calvillo should be the next challenger for her. And I think they should uh, make that fight uh, sometimes, uh, not not soon, uh, but sometime uh, before the summer's out, at least get that fight put down on paper to take place in the fall or winter and, and have a challenger waiting for Valentina Shevchenko after that fight. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with that. I like where, you th- where your head's going with that. Okay, on to a, a catchweight belt uh, matchup here. We have a Jim Miller versus Roosevelt Roberts. Roosevelt Roberts' uh, lack of experience here really showed against Jim Miller. Not to say, not taking away anything from Roosevelt Roberts, but Jim Miller's 35 UFC bouts really, uh, I think, helped him in this situation. What were your thoughts on this fight, Daniel? Yeah, I think the combination of Jim Miller uh, being so much more of a veteran than Roosevelt Roberts. I still think Roosevelt Roberts is a great, a great prospect in the UFC, one of the best regardless of weight class. But I think this showed he's got a lot of learning to do. Jim Miller uh, able to combine his 35 uh, fights of UFC experience along with 
superior strength to Roosevelt Roberts, who at six foot two is is probably given up a good bit of strength to fight at lightweight. And I think uh, the the quickness with which uh, Jim Miller went after him and was kind of uh, able to keep control, even though Roberts nearly snuck out of that armbar, uh, I think it just shows that Jim Miller really isn't going anywhere. He's he's one of the the longest standing fighters in the UFC. And I don't think he's he's planning on going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, he's he's very clearly not the the type of guy that's that's going to be a top ten contender. Probably not even going to crack the top fifteen. Uh, but he's he's certainly somebody that that has a lot of experience, a lot of ability, and can be used to test prospects like this and and kind of push them back to to where they're where they need to learn some things. This fight kind of. Not in terms of in, of finish or style, but reminding me a little bit of what we saw a couple of weeks ago with Chase Hooper and Alex Caceres, where it was just a much more experienced fighter who's got a little more well-rounded style, uh, was able to use that experience and pick up a strategic win over a younger fighter who may be a little more talented. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you there. I think what you said there, he won't. He might. There's a slim chance he might crack the 15th top 15 but he's winner he's a winner of his lot three of his last four and it's like he's kind of having a second win here in the latter part of his career i think so and with uh roosevelt roberts he yes he almost got out of the arm bar of course but i think there's still a lot of promise in this prospect so what do you think's next for roosevelt roberts you know i'm not it's it's tough it's tough to pick what's next for for prospects coming off a loss because you never really know how hard the UFC is going to want to push them after that uh, so it's it's a tough question because uh, Jim Miller was the toughest challenge that Roosevelt Roberts has faced in the UFC so far and he he came out of there with a loss he's uh, he's won two of his last four his his uh, first loss in the UFC coming uh, back in June of 2019, about a year ago. So I don't really know where he goes from here. He's going to get a fight probably against somebody that's a step down from Jim Miller. I, I just don't exactly know who that would be right now. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like you said, it's tough for uh, prospects because I, I think he has a lot of promise, in my opinion, a guy who's – 6'2", that long in the lightweight division. He could really wreak some havoc in the next couple of years if he, if he gets better. So I think with, with Jim Miller, I think we could see him fight a Drew Dober type coming up next as he is a winner of three of his last four. I don't know if you agree with that. What do you think? Yeah, that'd be a good fight. Somebody else that I've seen thrown around a little bit has been Alexander Hernandez. Uh, he's uh, lost two of his last three, but the level of competition he's faced in the UFC – has been almost entirely top 15 ranked guys. And honestly, somebody that's as beloved as Jim Miller taking on somebody that's as divisive as Alexander Hernandez for something that would be lower on the card. I think it would still be a bit of a money fight for the UFC. I think there would be some hardcore fans that would definitely turn in to see that fight. So I agree. Somebody like Drew Dober may be a good pick, but I think Alex Hernandez as well uh, could fall into that category. Yeah, I definitely have to agree there. So, on to our next bout, uh, Raquel Pennington versus uh, Marion Renault. Um, so, what are your thoughts on this fight? Well, the, the first thing that I go back to in my mind 
is is what you talked about on the preview episode, talking about Raquel Pennington probably going to try to dirty this fight up, get, in the, get into the clinch and throw some knees at Marion Renault. And that's exactly what she did. You predicted that perfectly. And that's honestly what helped her kind of carry this fight through three rounds, wear uh, Marion Renault out. And, and that was the biggest thing. Pe- Raquel Pennington was in control of the entire fight. I mean, it was never – she was never honestly dominating Marion Renault, but she was clearly in control of the fight, in control of where it was going, and she was rewarded with a unanimous decision. It was a really strong performance. Yeah, definitely. And with uh, Raquel Pennington, she uh... – her significant strikes, 107 out of 154. She was landing 70% of her, her significant strikes compared to Renault's 39% significant strike uh, land rate. So I, I feel like Raquel Pennington uh, really showed out in this fight. And I think she might be able to propel herself more toward the top of the rankings uh, in, for a potential title uh, chance in the next year. So what do you think's next for Renault? Marion Renault is is kind of a little bit like Roxanne Modafferi coming out of this because she's clearly a strong fighter, but she's been around even longer. Well, actually, in professional fighting, she's not been around as long as as Roxanne Modafferi has. But she's she's forty three years old. She's very uh, getting towards the end of what is typically the end of a career for a UFC fighter. But she's only got fifteen, excuse me, sixteen professional fights under her belt. She's coming off three straight losses uh, with with this last one to Raquel Pennington. I don't really know uh, what would be next in the cards for her. She's, I don't know, because she's forty three years old. She's lost three in a row. Uh, does she look uh, maybe even at retirement? I don't know what the next step is, just because she's kind of in a position where. It's it's tough to to keep going or to even justify keeping her on the roster, especially if she loses her next fight. Yeah, you make a good point. And she's only fought three times in the past two years, so she's not really you know wanting to fight that much. So, like you said, we could see her get cut off the roster, maybe head to Bellator or in back or to Invicta or something like that. So, I think um, for Pennington, we could see her fight someone the likes of of a. And Aspen Ladd, I think she, Aspen Ladd fights this weekend or the or on Fight Island. Do you know when she fights? Um, one second, please. I know uh, she fights quite soon. She was scheduled to fight Juliana Pena back in March, but that fight got canceled. Uh, she's fighting uh, Sarah McMahon on June 27th. Okay, so she's fighting this uh, next weekend. Yeah, I think what's next for Pennington is the win- winner of Aspen Ladd versus Sarah McMahon. What do you think? I think that could be a good fight. I think in the meantime, uh, she may even, if, if Juliana Pena's uh, recovered from that injury, may be able to pick that fight up uh, just, to, just to have another fight in between because uh, that McMahon and, and Ladd fight is coming up so soon. So, yeah, one, I think one of, those, one of those directions is the way to go. That's, that's in my opinion, the best way. I, I would like to see her probably fight Aspen Ladd at some point. I'm just not sure if there would be another fight in between. Yeah, you make a good point there. All right, on to a possible fight of the year candidate uh, for Emmett versus Burgos. This was fireworks. I enjoyed the hell out of this fight. Just back and forth. Uh, it was a slugfest. It's, it's pretty much what we predicted. What were your thoughts on this? 
This was a great fight. I mean, I, I predicted Shane Burgos to come out of there with the win. We both did. <laughs> watching the entire fight, I was, I was not displeased to see Josh Emmett pick up the win there. And, and his performance throughout the fight, he, I mean, dominated in that third round. And that was after probably suffering a pretty severe knee injury in the first round of that fight, in the first minute of that fight. And that, that was really impressive to see him carry that fight at such a size disadvantage and picking up a significant injury in the first minute of the fight and still be able to dominate the last round and really separate himself on the scorecards there. That was one of the gutsiest performances I've seen in the UFC in recent memory. Yeah, definitely. He was getting to uh, Shane Berger's pocket, who had a five or six inch reach advantage, and he, he just wasn't afraid the whole fight. I really admired that out of Josh Emmett. And I don't know, just the power that he possesses. It just he knocked he knocked Burgos down twice, and when Burgos usually does the knocking down himself, it was I don't know I I I don't have anything bad to say about this fight. Purely I was purely entertained by this fight the whole night. So, what's your opinion on what's next for Shane Burgos? Burgos is is a good younger fighter in this division. He's he was really moving upward until uh, he dropped that fight to Josh Emmett. So. What is next? It's it's tough to say. I don't really, I don't love to speculate on guys uh, in his kind of position because the UFC, honestly, I could see them giving him another top top ten contender. Or I could see them dropping him a little bit, let him get his feet under himself, and, and take on somebody at a at a slightly lower level. So I'm not, I I don't want to speculate. Maybe somebody like Jeremy Stevens, that would just be a really entertaining fight that I would like to see. Uh, those two guys would just absolutely go at each other. I think that'd be really entertaining, but I'm not sure that's the fight the UFC makes. Yeah, you make a good point there. I was thinking the same thing with Jeremy Stevens, you know, a guy who hasn't found much too much success lately, an old veteran, kind of the gatekeeper. And I think if Shane Burgos can get past Jeremy Stevens, he beat the gatekeeper. So he kind of moved, I think he would solidify himself in the top 10 after that. Um, so what do you think's next for Josh Emmett? I think this is where we see Josh Emmett really kind of start to move towards the top of that division, see if he can really have his medal tested as a legitimate title contender. I'd like to see him get whoever wins that Calvin Cater, Danny Gay fight here coming up soon. Obviously that's going to depend on the long-term health of Josh Emmett because I mean, there was talk he could have could have torn an ACL there in the first round. If that happens, I know from personal experience, I mean, that's that's more than a six-month recovery. So that's that's definitely something to keep an eye on. So I would like to see him get some sort of top five fight, probably the winner of Cater and Ige in my own personal preference, but his injury is definitely going to take precedent over that. Yeah, I would definitely have to agree with you there. Like you said, knee injuries are no joke. I would personally like to see him fight Yaya Rodriguez. Yaya Rodriguez is one of my favorite fighters in the UFC. He's I, I find him extremely entertaining. So I, that's obviously my dream bout. But like you said, I, I completely agree with the Calvin Cater, Dan Ige winner. I think that's probably who he'll get next, contingent on how, he, how his knee injury heals. All right, to the main event of the evening, Curtis Blades versus Alexander Volkov. We both chose Blades by KO, but... I wasn't surprised about anything in this fight. What what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I was I was not surprised by 
uh, Curtis Blades' style at all. This is really how we've seen dominate him dominate guys with, with countless takedowns. He set the UFC heavyweight record with 14 in this fight on 25 attempts. I was probably expecting him to at some point uh, break through Volkov's guard and finish him with ground and pound, uh, but I wasn't surprised to see this go the distance. Uh, this is what we've come to expect from Curtis Blades. He gets guys to the ground and he rides them until they wear out completely or the fight gets finished. So uh, I think Curtis Blades is clearly somebody that is in the upper echelon of this heavyweight division. He he has lost twice to Francis Ngannou, so he has to certainly sit behind him in the pecking order for a title shot. But I don't think he's too far off from being a legitimate title contender in the heavyweight division. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. And I'll, The one thing that really surprised me in this fight was that Volkov got a takedown. That's the only thing mm-hmm. that surprised me. And with Curtis Blades, yes, it wasn't a pretty performance like we were expecting in a knockout, but he got the job done with 14 takedowns, the UFC record in the heavyweight division for in, in one fight. So I think that that really didn't surprise me. So what do you think is next for Mr. Volkov? Volkov, I'm not entirely sure. I think maybe, maybe he takes uh, not, not necessarily a step back, uh, but somebody that may be looking to kind of, kind of jump up into the next level in this UFC heavyweight division. And that's somebody I think that, that fought fairly recently uh, in a, in a co-main event. I think he may uh, get matched up with Augusto Sakai soon. I mean, Sakai coming off a win against Blagoy Ivanov, he's 15, one and one, and is really looking for somebody in that top 10 uh, to be able to, to knock off and start moving up and, and try to, to build up towards a title shot. I think Sakai, is one of the better guys towards the back end of this top 10. He's, he's not quite as experienced as some of the, the other guys that are above him, but I, I think he just needs to, to get a few more fights under his belt. I think Volkov would be a nice test for him, and I'd like to see that fight. I think it would be a good mix of styles. Yeah, I have to agree there. That, that Augusto Kai fight would be a, a very nice matchup for, uh, for Alexander Volkov, and I think a great chance for Sakai to move up in the rankings. What I'd like to see for Volkov is maybe fight a Walt Harris or an Alistair Overeem. I think that's what I'd like to see. Two, two, uh, a kickboxing match between Volkov and Overeem would be very entertaining. So I think that's what I'd like to see, and that's what I hope to see. So my thing for Curtis Blades is I believe Miocic and Komier will, vo- will both retire uh, at the end of their bout. They're both... Uh, Cormier's 40, Stipe's like 38. They're both very old. So I think we could see a potential Curtis Blades, Francis Ngannou title, title bout for the vacant title. What do you think? I think that's definitely a, a very big possibility. Uh, I mean, Cormier, if he wins, pretty much has said that will be his last professional fight. I think Stipe, with what's gone on with his injury history and uh, the the question marks that surrounded his return to the UFC at all after that last fight uh, certainly make him a candidate to retire permanently at the end of UFC 252. Uh, so obviously Curtis Blades and Francis Ngannou are the future of this division. It's just a matter of how quickly they get pushed up into that top end that, that Miocic and, and Cormier have occupied for probably the last year and a half or longer. I would really like to see a third fight between both of those guys. They've improved so much since the last time they squared off. So 
I think Blades is certainly the clear number three contender right now uh, behind Cormier and Nganu. And I think it's this heavyweight division we've said so long is kind of in a holding pattern until something happens with Stipe and Cormier. And August 15th, we're going we're gonna to see what happens. And I think the heavyweight division is going to either change a whole lot or we're going to see some younger guys get a shot to, to make an impact against older fighters in, in a really interesting kind of landscape moving forward. Yep, I definitely have to agree with you there. Mietzsch and Cormier have held that division for quite a long time. So it's time for the young bucks to move up. All right, to some, un- to some non-fight night Blaze versus Volkov related topics. We forgot to talk about this fight. Uriah Hall versus uh, Yo Romero has been scheduled. What are your thoughts on this one? I think this is going to be a war. I've said multiple times on this, on this podcast that of anyone in the UFC, I am most terrified of Yoel Romero. I mean, the man is he's, – he's a literal boogeyman. Like, he's, he's legitimately <laughs> scary. Like, I see him on my television screen, and it's legitimately concerning. So, I think, I think this will be a really good fight. I think Yoel Romero is absolutely ageless, and I think he's going to beat up pretty good on Uriah Hall, but I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, I'm excited to see it too. I think Uriah Hall should uh, reserve his ER room in advance. You know, make it all nice and comfy because he might be staying there, for, might be staying there for a hot minute. After if I were he- Uriah Hall, I might make sure I've got a will written up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was watching the the Robbie Whitaker Yoel Romero uh, free fight on YouTube. I think Yoel Romero won that fight. I think he won the last three rounds. I don't know. What What were your thoughts on that? It one? was so close. I. I... It's it's tough to say. Again, it's it, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think that one could have gone either way, and I think those are two fighters that I really love to watch. And I was I was so locked into just watching those two guys duke it out. I wasn't paying too much attention to the scorecards, and I haven't been re- really able to go back and look at it. But that, that's that's a favorite fight in my opinion. So I I just like being able to sit back and look at that one. Yeah, for sure. And I think with uh, Romero and uh, Uriah Hall, Romero's just still so quick. Like he, he's slow on his, he's kind of slow on his feet. But when he just throws that overhand right, it's just boom. So I don't know that it's it's gonna be a war, like you said. So to some interesting news, uh, to say the least, uh, John Jones and Mike Tyson might be fighting in the in the squared circle and in the octagon. What were your thoughts on this, man? Oh, this is this might be the weirdest story to come out of the UFC this year, and that's saying something. <laughs> uh, Mike Tyson is he's getting back into the news. He's apparently gearing up for a comeback, and he's made some appearances in professional wrestling as well with All Elite Wrestling. So, John Jones has uh, always been one to play into the media and and play into. Uh, whatever will will get his name as much traction as possible. And I think whether something legitimate happens between him and Mike Tyson, I don't see something legitimate happening, happening between him and Mike Tyson, uh, but it'll, it'll be interesting to watch. These are, are two of the most mainstream notable fighters 
that have ever been seen in combat sports. And just to see them interact like this is interesting. And, and where it goes from here will, will be something to watch, even if a, an actual fight doesn't materialize. Yeah, for sure. When I, my dad, we were sitting on the couch. He told me about this news. I was like, Ooh. see, I think Mike Tyson obviously probably has the advantage in the boxing ring. But John Jones is just in his physical prime at the latter half of it. Uh, and he's just so much longer than Tyson. And I feel like John Jones is such a good athlete that he could persevere and probably beat Tyson in a boxing match. And then if they fight in the octagon, I'm betting everything I have on John Jones. And then some, and I'll feel comfortable, comfortable about it sleeping at night because of that, because John Jones is just that good against, uh, against anybody. He's, he's arguably the best to ever do it. And he could have been better if he just took his career seriously. Daniel, thanks for coming back on. We always do well. Yes, sir. All right, guys. We'll see you for a preview of Fight Night, uh, Hooker versus Poirier. Thank you guys for listening.